0: I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season three Today, I'm delighted to have Davin Crowley-Sweet, the Chief Data Officer from National Highways. So, Davin, thank you very much for joining us. Nice to be here, Carl. How are you? Very well, very well. Um, What? the guests won't know when they hear this is that this, this has taken me four attempts to get your name out right so um, <laughs> um but don't worry we can edit it all together so um they've oh, never known worry. but but i need to hold my hands up and uh yeah we've taken half the time for the podcast i'm trying to <laughs> try to pronounce my, your name
1: my, my unusual name can be a blessing sometimes the amount of times i get an email through um from linkedin that says dear david can we introduce you to our data quality software yeah. <laughs> Instant <laughs> recycle bin. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, uh, Davin,
0: where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey up until this
1: point, if uh, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Davin Crowley-Sweet. I'm 41 years old. I'm, I'm, hmm. I am from London, or Northwest London originally. Um, I'm the Chief Data Officer and Director of Digital Lab for National Highways. So National Highways looks after all the strategic roads, um, the A roads the motorway roads for England you know so that's a the lion's share of our traffic goes over the road and we pride ourselves on our ability to connect the country. Um, I've had 20 years in data I think now which is kind of scary and, and I've always been in transport largely and before this I was the um, essentially the chief data officer for the railway system for the mainline rail system under network rail and that was a scary role because that's when um, data is being used to make some quite life-saving decisions on a real-time basis that so come to the a whole heap of nice responsibilities I'm mm-hmm. really proud bit of highways it's a lovely organization in, in in terms of the role itself um i look after both the business side data and all the things you'd see finance and people but also the operational side of data so the road sides, the signals the things you see while you're driving and uh, i've got data governance and assurance data architecture engineering and everything to do with digital digital and uh, data science nice fine how long have you been there no Coming up five years next month, which is absolutely blown by. Yeah.
0: So you've brought the average tenure of the CDO up by at least least 80% or something like that. Um, (laughs) I guess, obviously, in terms of the role itself, and the reason I ask this question is because, obviously, roles in our industry are so non-standardised. What was the kind of mandate when you were brought in by national highways what was the expectation around what you were there for and hoping to achieve
1: oh it was, it's was fixed data oh I, I think it's um you know data is a language that not many people are familiar with to some people it's a dark art and they don't quite know how to have the conversation they've not grown up with it in their careers and it's a new thing so you know as a a CDO I'm never expecting someone to hire me with a really clear view of what they want and exactly what they need and when they need it by because if they did they wouldn't need me. So um it was a case of they knew they needed to fix data because they were seeing all the warning signs of reductions in productivity. You know, they needed to achieve much more construction much faster. They needed to reduce their OPEX costs of how much it costs to look after a road and they were looking at all the things that they had at their disposal to do that and and data was one of the things that jumped out that they hadn't had before so they had never had really anyone working in data um, when i joined i had a few people working in an information management role looking after a contents management system our concepts of data architecture data engineering data analysis exploitation they were all things that had been outsourced and never really had it internally so it was a, as high level as, you know, fixed data, get it working for us.
0: Mm, yeah. Interesting. So I guess where I want to start with this then, Davin, is is looking at, obviously there's there's an awful lot of debate in our industry around the role of the CDO, right? And again, back to non-standardization of roles and titles and backgrounds of people and why businesses hire them and, you know, high level or more granular detail, as you've just explained. but. Um, more specific with regards to the conversation around value and con you know the concept of value realization and whether it's possible and you know there's a, an old shebang at the minute around that conversation you know to be able to pinpoint actual pounds pence value good starting point just give us your thought on that in terms of what is the role of the cdo in relation to the concept of, of value in terms of how you see it
1: Oh, my goodness, such a big question. We, we, we are an interesting industry that loves taking traditional words and sticking the word data on the front and then coming up with a whole new definition of it and then wondering why we're misunderstood by CXOs. So, so, you know, words like value, benefits and all that. So my take on it is that um, we are a company um, that generates value by connecting the country. And we have a whole plethora of assets in our organisation that does that. Some of them are tangible, like the road, the signs, the signals itself, and some of them are intangible, like our brand, our reputation, and our data. So, my view is that I see data as one of the assets at our company's disposal for us to be able to achieve our goals and generate value. So, data can both generate benefits, i.e., I do something, there is a t- return from using that data, a cost reduction, or something's created but that data has a value whether I do something with it or not. Just like if you're a shop and you're not selling stuff, it doesn't change your balance sheet for about five years because you still own those assets. So my job principally is around helping the organization understanding the size and scale of the data assets it owns, helping them understand how those data assets can create benefit for the company, what they need what interventions they need to make to be able to manage those data assets and use those data assets effectively and create the digital um leadership and data capability right through the organization so that those masses can be managed for the long term i think that that's how i see the well. role i rarely talk about software products and and uh platforms in what I do it's more around the value of data its contribution to our business goals and creating an organization that can look after a sizable digital asset yeah so that's
0: really interesting then so uh, I'm going to ask you a question here and I don't know whether you'll be able to kind of give the answer because it might have just always been the way that you've thought but at what point in time did you make the the kind of separation of value in terms of the data that we have sat in our systems, databases, et cetera, it has a value whether we use it or not versus yeah. value by which 90% of the data analytics community attributes to the benefit of you that you've just described, right? The value that you get out of doing a data analytics project that's cost you something, but in return, there will be a return on that investment, hopefully, or not as in many cases. But when did that kind of separation occur for you is was, was there a particular point that this kind of just yeah. made sense i remember
1: it really vividly it was in 2007 i think <laughs> and, and um i was given um a white paper from gartner around from one of their vp analysts at the time who was a guy called doug laney and he had written a two-page white paper on infonomics and yep. this idea that um companies today are managed by accounting rules That were created before digital data existed and those accounting rules have essentially taught us and institutionalized us to only see the tangible assets and build our company's governance structures and decisions around our our tangibles and that had those accounting rules been written today with digital data and the way the market works we would have been applying those to data and we would have made those assets visible Um, and it was reading that paper and then his onward work on infonomics, which came out much, much later. That was the, the turning point for me. And the, the 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 thing that sticks in my head is before that point, I remember thinking of data as a, a digital reflection of the asset. And after that paper, I was like, no, 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 Data is not a reflection of the asset. Data is the asset. And then that's when I thought, OK, if it's an asset, what are all the terms that we apply to assets, you know? so what's its value, what's its cost, you know, and why didn't I know it? Why didn't I know this stuff? Why is it when I read the balance sheet of an organization, I know more about its office furniture than I do about its data? And I thought that was quite insane. And, you know, you look at a balance sheet and we'll account for our Microsoft Windows licenses, but we won't account for 50 years of data about how we've managed the most complex asset in the world, or one of them at least. And I just thought why aren't we just doing that why aren't we applying all these known things to data but yeah it didn't make sense to me and then and then it just led to a line of constant questioning why 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 and it followed the path of it nice so has this been something
0: that you've done then in other organizations as well throughout your career in terms of taking this view to kind of generate value
1: I, I think in my previous organization I um I led large pieces of work to take the sentiment of how we needed to act as an organisation to treat data as an asset. Okay, You know, so I carried that mindset. So what are the things we need to do? But it wasn't until I joined Highways that I found the organisation at the right time, the right place, i had done the right mandate to be able to do a full enterprise valuation of, OK, what's our data worth to UK PLC? This is a digital public asset that the taxpayer essentially has paid for and owns. What's it worth to whom and why? So I know how to best configure our organisation to be able to manage it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And we've had Doug learning on the podcast, by the way, and uh, so oh, all about his and all about his book. Yeah. Um. So I want to stop you there, then, right, for a second, because there's also a big problem or challenge in the industry. I think in terms of most data leaders struggle to quantify. The value that they are trying to deliver now i guess my question to you at this point is is that because they are not looking at data as an asset and therefore that becomes more difficult for those projects to be valued as in yeah. terms of what they're getting out the other side or is there something more to it just in terms of you know the complexity of business and you know the ability to quantify and then or articulate I'll, I'll, I'll,
1: loads away I, I might be contentious when i answer this question so i'll try not to um I on, oh, some stare the, stare the pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, live a little. I think one thing is people are confusing benefits and value. So, you know, I, I, I see a lot of data leaders use the word value to describe the return on investment that they get from an investment and thinking if I just sum up the value of all that return, that's the value of my data. And like, no, that's the benefits of a project, not the value of your data. Um, I think there's something about courage and bravery you know, I think CDOs need to be a bit more feisty. You know, I see so much LinkedIn content around. Why aren't I at the CXO table? Why aren't I here? And I'm like, it's probably because you were on LinkedIn whining about why you're not at the table rather than <laughs> being in your business, putting your head above the parapet, you know, and, and, and really properly going at it and saying, you know, if I don't do this, I'm failing, and walking them out. And, you know, and I, I think there's some of that. I think CDOs, you know, can be a bit braver if I'm going to stop hiding behind technology problems and bits like that and, you know, and recognize that I think the organization is looking at you to lead, you know, not not tell everyone what the problems are and why you can't do this, you know, absolutely lead. Like like you said before, when CDOs are recruited, a lot of the time they don't know what they're looking for and you, you only have to look at the average job description, which apparently I need to be an expert at CXO level, but I also need to be able to code in fluent Python. That says to me that, I don't know what a CDO stands for yet. And it's up for us, us to tell them. And I, and I think we've got to stand behind some benefits and commit to them. We can't keep promising them. Mm. It's really interesting because
0: obviously, as you've probably seen, many a rant on LinkedIn from me about job descriptions and the sheer despicable state of them. Um, <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> that um, I'd almost argue now, having had this conversation with you, and obviously we can get into the whole and much, mo- story in, in, in this as as well a little bit but speaking with Herman around you know that this same concept that if organizations understood and heard this type of message around how we value data as an asset, that probably makes a lot more sense to business leaders and CXOs as as opposed to what we're trying to drive at the minute, which is benefits as you rightly call it, right, of a typically a technology-led initiative, right, Mm. which is is really interesting. So I guess I want to try and start at the end and then work backwards with this, Davin, if that's okay. So obviously you've had great success in actually getting into the business, getting this kind of rolled out, done, and now you're able to kind of attribute quantifiable value to data, right? So just talk us through what that How that looked, I guess, as an end result in terms of a number, if you're allowed.
1: Yeah, of course. So um, we know um, that our data is worth £60 billion to UK PLC. And so it's worth that value. And that's an astonishing number. And what makes it astonishing is it's equivalent to nearly half the value of the road itself and over 10 times the value of the technology that the data resides in. So what that helps an organisation does is create the right governance structures to be able to allocate capital in the right place because they've got a way of understanding the proportional or ratio of value across all the assets they've got. Whereas you used to see just business case with 99% technology costs, 1% for the project manager and the data was the afterthought. Now our organisation looks at it going, right, well, if our data is worth half the value of the road, when i see business case and 10 times the value of the technology when i see investment cases i'm expecting to see a proportional level of investment to the risk that the data actually carries rather than the technology and, and i think a sub point was you know there's two ways you can approach this i think organizations suffer a data literacy problem and, and it's because we didn't grow up the stories in our language as, as kids around data you know we grew up with billy goats graph and talking about the bridge so people know what bridges you didn't start with billy goats graph and the enterprise service bus you know. <laughs> you, didn't have that. you didn't have that kind of language so yeah. you know do, do you try and persuade 6,000 people in my organization to be fluent in data overnight or do you teach the relatively small data team to be fluent in business and we, and we chose the latter and what we saw was that the organisation was unable to have a conversation about where to invest properly because it couldn't equate the value of different assets it was investing in. So, you know, like you're, in, you're at school and you add fractions together and you've got to get a common denominator between before you can add them up. So that's what we tried to do with the valuation so that you knew what a pound in infrastructure spent was relative to a pound in data. So, we ended up knowing the value of our data its relative value to our physical assets and our technology assets to help create the right capital allocation process so we could invest in it proportionately. What it also did from a cultural perspective is that I'd I'd had a team of information managers who were scared, like living in the corner, thinking that they didn't have the right to be at the table. And suddenly I was coming along and telling them, and going, no, you are the bastions, the stewards, and the leaders of a 60 billion pound digital asset. does that change your mindset at all and suddenly I, I said it to doug laney once i said i saw the team go from data lambs to data lions where they were at the seat of the table and they were they were like no you we're doing this because we're looking after this asset so that that was the the value of the asset so we knew it was worth 60 billion to uk plc but the thing is you, you know you can't finance investments with balance sheet value you've got to think about where are you going to use data to make a better decision which releases cash so we did a a huge exercise of creating a data strategy that lasted about nine to 12 months and included around 300 people because i'm of the firm belief that um, a data strategy is not the cdo in their broom cupboard writing loads of pages on you know software it's it's a company-wide engagement that brings people together to understand principally what decisions are you trying to make that are suffering today because you do not have the data to make them? And what do we need to do differently tomorrow? And through that, we found around 800 million to 1.2 billion pounds worth of cash efficiency over, I think, to about a 10 to 15 year period as a result of about 70 to 80 different questions and different things that could be answered if you had the data. And, and we went through that then process of just, well, what would the projects and programs look like, feel like and be like to unlock that value. And and we're just on our path to gradually doing it, but not doing it as a big, giant, monolith mega program. As and when people are ready, they pick up a project and they run with it, you know, because I think you've got to go at the pace of the culture of the organization and its emotional resilience to being able to change at that pace. And and I think that's where I got it massively wrong in the start that I, I joined an organization fresh. And while I was technically correct with this lovely strategy, the organization just wasn't ready and I hadn't earned the mandate to do it. So I think we've ended up in a really good place where our organization recognizes the difference between benefits of data versus value of data. The value of data is helping us shape the culture of the organization to look after a digital asset and the leadership of the organization to help us invest in it properly and seeing it as one of the many assets we can invest in to deliver our goals and not just a digital reflection. And then we've been left with a strategy over the long term, which is still flexible and can change, that people can pick up data projects as and when they're ready to be able to digest them, rather than me trying to just force the business to change because I'm comfortable with it. Mm.
0: Yeah. So basically, the starting point there was okay let's get to a point where we can put a tangible figure on what the value of our data is as you know an intangible asset just the same way that we could put a tangible value on the office space yeah. that we own right and from there then obviously the data strategy formed out of that to then identify right in terms of actual projects that can be done to unleash cash in terms of the benefit of you know the return on investment of a prioritisation, and then you go into that and start realising that benefit value, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think the exact numbers, and I, I don't mind sharing them, it's public information. Is we, we we were sitting there going, right, so we know all, our data assets, 60 billion to UK PLC. So clearly we have to take this thing seriously because it's worth half the value of the road itself. So we need much more focus on it. We gathered then a few senior people over a full week people to say, well, what do we think the value is? Estimated figure, you know, we get given 30 billion pounds roughly over a five-year period. We're at X level of maturity as a company. What do we think benefit we could generate over 10 years? We, we estimated a billion. We, we knew our current return on in investment was for every pound spent, there was a 2.7 return. So we estimated that, well, well, let's apply that to data. If we think there's a billion pounds worth of benefit available, we would probably need 300 million to get us there. And then we said, well, if we're going to spend 300 million over a 5, 10-year period to deliver a billion worth of cash benefits, would it be prudent to spend 1% of that value in creating the plan and the strategy for it? And the business was like, well, that sounds eminently sensible to do. And then suddenly, purely creating the data strategy and the plan became a business change program. And it was own right of 3 million just to get us to that point. And and that's what I think really set us up for success, that it wasn't me in a corner appearing with a document. It really, literally was nine to 12 months, large-scale investment in developing the plan. Mm. And, and that resonated with the language of the business. You know, when we build a new road, we don't just decide tomorrow we're building it. We, we spend years and years planning it. And what I was trying to do is leverage that culture that already existed in the business around, you know, let's spend years planning something and then build it properly and absolutely blitz it but just apply that to our digital assets and not just our physical ones. Mm. It's really
0: interesting, isn't it? Because you you get into this conversation out there on LinkedIn and in the community around quick wins um, and how important those quick wins are. But it kind of seems like your organization understood through the premise of you being able to value data as an asset that, hang on, this thing should be taken seriously. Because I guess what typically happens in most businesses is, you know, we want to be data-driven in quotation marks, right? So they'll go and hire a few people, they'll buy a bit of tech, they'll bring in a data leader, they'll throw a bit of cash at it, and then they're kind of sitting there with a the handout going, okay, what, what do we get from this? And then when there's not a lot, it's kind of like, oh, this thing doesn't, Work and so we're all constantly in this cycle of needing to prove the quick wins while also trying to be strategic over a longer period of time, which the two are always at odds with each other, right? That, that, um,
1: and, and you ha- you have to find a way through it. And you know, I had to deliver quick wins, and it was more to earn the right to have the big boy conversation. You know, I, I can't just be strategic, and I can't just be tactable. And I've always struggled with finding the right balance between the two, and I'm always oscillating between the two. But I think. You know, as long as it's quick wins with an end to in mind and quick wins that support the strategy rather than just being opportunistic. And I think that's where people get confused. There's lots of people being opportunistic. That's very different from quick wins. You know, quick wins are still in line with strategy still there. So I think yeah, I I felt that I had to earn the right to be a CDO. It's not given to you, especially when you join an organization, not quite sure what they do. And I think that's not new, unique to us. And you, you have to really set out that picture, be mm. as simple as possible and operate at the business level. I've, I've, one of the things I've learned is be a business leader first and a data leader second.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Take us back to the start then in terms of getting, getting the buy-in and the investment to go about doing it in this way in terms of you know valuing data as an asset and kind of getting the business on board with that because that that is in of itself will be completely alien concept to pretty much many people in, in the industry, right? In, in terms of a starting point.
1: Yeah, I think it was um it wasn't a smooth ride. And you know, I remember <laughs> the, the um the young girl I, I asked to to go through the actual investment committee to secure the budget to do that. She phoned me up after it. she was really upset. She goes, I got the approval but like half the room I thought, what on earth is this all about? Why are we doing this? And I was like, good, because if they all nodded, it meant they'd done it before and it's not new. And I was like, so it, it was a bit of a rough ride. But I, I suppose where we started was, was um, going back right back to the base principles. You can't manage what you can't see. And we had no way of seeing what data assets we had. And equally, the business had no way of seeing what data assets they had in a language that was meaningful to them. And the language of our business is money and infrastructure. So I had to find a way of describing data in a language that was familiar to them. And then suddenly the decisions became much simpler. I'll give you a quick example of how language can change something. So we have a huge number of engineers in our company. They understand the words asset condition and asset performance. You know, if I said, what's the asset condition of the road or what's the asset condition of a bridge, they'd instantly be able to answer. And if I said, how well is that asset performing, they'd instantly be able to answer. If I then said, what's the data quality of that bridge, I guarantee you they're wrong or quiet. But if I said, what's the asset condition of the data itself, i.e., but it's just the asset I'm talking about is the data, what's the condition of the data Then they suddenly knew how to have a conversation with me. We had a shared meaning. We had the common language between the two. So we've worked really hard to say, what's the language of the business? And how can we frame data in that language? And then when you do that, you suddenly realize the business is not as resistant as you think. But if you talk in the language of MDM tools and data buses and data lakes, don't be surprised when no one has a clue what you're talking about. And organizations are always under-resourced and overworked. You know they're not going to prioritise you if you don't take the time to learn their language, and I don't know if that helps answer your question, but that that's that was very much the starting point.
0: Yeah, no, that that I mean that makes absolute perfect sense to me, and I think you know it's interesting that you touched upon the kind of literacy piece, right? Because um, there's an awful lot of uh, <laughs> arguing and conflict around the whole concept of data literacy and how condescending it may or may not be, and um, you know the fact that. Maybe the data community also needs to be more business literate or whatever the case may be, right? So it's a it's a real fascinating starting point, but it's one of them that also makes complete sense at the same time, right? It's completely logical. As you said before, why would we try to, you know, ask X amount of hundreds of thousands of people to be more data literate when we can, you know, change a, uh, you know, make 20, 30, 40, 50 people? more business literate which makes perfect sense and then you know create a language around that that so that the data team know how to talk to the business in in a shared shared way makes makes absolutely perfect sense
1: what it what it does is i think um and what i've seen even myself and in my team is that if if you're in a business meeting and you feel confident people will pick up on that confidence and and i don't think you know people are keeping eye on returns on investments and benefit and all these kinds of things but i think when senior leaders choose to invest in they're investing in the person they say do i trust you am i confident that if if i give you this pound it's where it's best spent and that comes from building relationships demonstrating values your behaviors your ability to speak the language of the business your ability to be resilient when things go wrong it's not about your calculation that you've used to describe an analytic project's return. And uh, so I, I think I've taken, I've tried to take a much more personal approach, you know, of earning the trust, earning the right um, with our senior leaders so that they're confident in me to be able to make those decisions. Hmm. i ask you a question, Davin, that's kind of playing around in my mind.
0: If you were another type of CDO, right? Who sat in that same boardroom, having those same conversations, and maybe said something along the lines of what happens in many conversations like this, well, you know, let's build X, a data lake, or whatever the case may be. And I'm sure you might have done as part of that overarching strategy, but obviously your starting point was to understand the value of your data as a a kind of intangible asset, right? Um, If you hadn't have done that, do you think you'd have gotten as far as you have? Do you think the business would have still invested something in it because they understood, broadly speaking, that you know there's value in data
1: here somewhere and we need to try and leverage it? I, I think they would have invested, but it would have been on the opportunistic side and it would have been a novelty item that you wheel out as and when someone wants to do something machine learning-based. I, I think that it would have been limited to that, you know, yeah. need a blockchain called Davin or something. But <laughs> I, I think I've I think the CDO would have felt like a bolt-on to the side of the business rather than part of its operating model, and mm-hmm. I think that's what I've desperately tried is is that I'm not just there to enable the real uh, that and that term the business. You know, I'm a CDO. I'm part of the business. I'm not on its side. And um, yeah, and, and it's funny. You know, you brought up the terms data lake. It, it's um, we've never used that term internally to describe, even though we have built the lakes and the warehouses and the Mars. And I, I think off the top of my head, there's five things. You know, I said I said to our exec, um, I've got one slide that says what I do. And uh, it says, I'm going to do five things for you. It says, one is I'm going to help you set your vision and strategy of how you're going to use your digital assets to become better, achieve benefits, achieve your goals, whatever they are. Two, I'm going to help you understand how fit for purpose those assets are at doing that today. So you've got lots of digital assets, but can they deliver? Three, I'm going to help. Well, yeah, I'm going to, well, two and three, actually. I'm going to help you define what assets you actually need. I, like Nothing winds me up more when people go, my data is rubbish. And I go, well, well what, what data do you need? Or what does good data look like? And they go, I don't know. And I'm like, well, how do you know the data you have <laughs> is rubbish? So A huge part of being a good CEO, I think, is about really helping the business understand what data they need to be successful and if the data they've got is fit for purpose at doing so the fourth point was around making the data accessible in a usable way you know and that's where we so we built a lake to help that capability grow you know we might build something else but we didn't say i'm going to build a lake i said i'm going to do something that helps make your data available in a usable way and then the fifth area was i'm going to use your data to generate benefit you know, so you invest all this money in data and all this time and all this emotional energy into data. I'm now going to use it to deliver a return. And that could be a cashable one. It could be something of social value or social benefit or an enabling one. But I'm going to be very, very clear what it is and not not leave you wondering what it is through 15 pages of PowerPoint slide deck. You're going to get one page that says exactly what. And, and, and I think um, that helped really cement my mind what it is that we did around those five bullet points.
0: Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, I guess in terms of investment then, obviously, as you alluded to earlier, the fact that if you knew what that asset is worth, investments then become proportionate to that asset, right? In yeah. terms of you know, relating it to 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 other assets. Um, so with that in mind, I guess how did was that different before you'd done that exercise in terms of um you know getting some kind of investment to be able to go through the process of valuing assets?
1: Yeah, and it wasn't because there was two things. One, you know, the fact that we were looking after an asset of that value suddenly meant there were now new executive committees formed looking after what does the information leadership group look like? Okay, so that's now an exec subcommittee with exec directors on it with the sole purpose of, you know, providing the leadership over this asset and the, the valuation you know, played a huge part about that. It also sort of started to give people a language to be able to have a conversation about it, you know, which they couldn't do before. You know, you get daily leaders come into a room and talk about, you know, APIs, and then everyone's just like pretending they know what they're talking about. but well, no one really does, but no one really wants to say it. And it's just awkward silence. Um, the other thing was, is um, I felt that previous, the investments were less invested in infrastructure. And with what's left, we'll then apportion that to the other parts of the business. Now, if, if I give you a real life example where I've just got an investment very recently is um, I'm going to be implementing connected services, which is I'm going to be putting real time data in your sat nav and in your car about where roads are closed, you know, what's going on in the network. So you see it in real time rather than having to look out your window at one of our signs and signals all the time. You know, by doing the data evaluation, people realize that putting a sign on a signal and putting data in your car was an information provision capability. And actually they were the two different ways of achieving the same outcome. And the business has chosen to say, well, actually, Damien, we want you to deliver that outcome of information provision, you know, getting data into cars, as opposed to commissioning the construction part of our business to building more roadside signals. Mm-hmm. You know, Because I can do it at a lower rate. I can do it without introducing carbon to the network. But those conversations were happening because they realised we were both trying to develop the same capability, but we gave them the language to show what does a pound in here invested look like versus what does a pound over there invested. Hmm.
0: Yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, that's fascinating. I guess before you got to the fact that you knew the valuation of 60 billion, um, was there an exercise before that to get investment to do that project? <laughs>
1: yeah the, the, there was um it was relatively small um and i'm just trying to think of my time scales it it came from that whole concept of if we're going to be investing this much in a company's data over an X year period and we want to invest you know three million in its strategy and its plan it was all wrapped up under that thing so it all became part of the planning or if we're going to plan it what assets do we have and how much are they worth and who are they worth what to and and suddenly you realize you have to go back to that Uh, we didn't start the planning with what analytics projects could we do what opportunistic quick wins can we get it it started right at the enterprise level Mm. and people thought I was a bit crazy at first about why am I doing this strange exercise but gradually over time if people have seen it applied they've been much more comfortable with it but I, I always leverage back on the You spend X number of years planning to build a road. Why wouldn't you do the same with your digital assets? And again, that's going back to that business language speak. And they're like, well, that's really sensible. Why not? Why wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't feel I can give you a nice soundbite or something like that. Like that's a magic approach other than a, I don't think I was smart enough to do anything different. So I was like, well, let's, let's just manage our assets like we manage all of the other assets we do because they manage those assets really well. Yeah.
0: But honestly, I think it's it's brilliant and it's fascinating in equal measure because uh, you know there's so few businesses out there that have have done it this way, right? They invest a lot, a lot of money into those analytics projects, opportunistic quick wins, and you know it never really gets that much traction as a you know top level strategic initiative across an entire business, which is probably why.
1: And and do you know the funny thing is? Do you know the thing that makes me most happy about it is is it's it's not actually the return on investment It's, um, it's the it's the impact that it's had on our brand as a company and our ability to recruit talent is by far in my view that the thing that I'm most happy about where I see all I see on LinkedIn is we're not paying data people enough you know everyone's like they're they're all working for obscene salaries here, here, and here, and we can't compete and there's too few of them. And I'm sitting there and we've not had trouble recruiting some of the best talent in the UK. And we look in different places and we bring in different people. I think I lean much towards having people with good values and behaviours and, you know, being curious and courageous as opposed to how many blakes can you configure. But the impact it's had on our brand and our ability to retrain and attract talent as a result of that is probably what I'm most happy about. Yeah, and I'm not
0: surprised at all, Davin, to be honest with you, because I'm very vocal about this also. But, you know, I've kind of come up with this kind of three-pronged um, attack, as, as it were, in terms of how the data analytics community, especially more at practitioner level, um, if you want to kind of call it that, how their kind of needs, wants, and desires have changed over the last five years or so, right? Because at one point in time, rightly or wrongly and fueled by probably a lot of wrong behaviors within businesses around the projects they were doing with data, but it often came down to who's going to pay me the most money, who's working with the sexiest tech, and who's got the sexiest projects, right? And that's what it used to be, Hmm. and all wrapped up in this, we're data-driven or we're going to be data-driven type of, of blanket. And over the last five years, many people probably feel like they've been burnt a little bit. They've gone into those businesses, realized, hang on, there's a lot of lip service being paid here. I'm doing oh, yeah. a load of work that I never see the end result from. You know, So their work isn't visible. It isn't valued. It's not impactful. And therefore oh. now people are starting to look at that as a criteria and obviously money is important, but it's never the be all and end all, right? So now people are choosing places they can go to work where they can see the net result of that project they've delivered or that piece of work that they've done analysis on or whatever the case may be. Right. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that in in the slightest.
1: Someone from Lloyd's bank said this to me once and uh, I I thought that it was their approach to it. And they said, they're not going to compete on compensation. They're going to compete on purpose. And I, and I, I thought, That's wise. And and I found it, you know, especially that the data community is a really lovely bunch. You know, you're not going to find nicer people in my view, and they are absolutely driven by purpose in my view. And I think it's about if you can create the environment that helps them become successful, that gives them the right space, the right authority, the right responsibilities and a a strong purpose, then then I don't think you need to worry as much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, conscious of time, Davin, but a couple of things to kind of wrap up with around final thoughts. Obviously, I know that you know you've you've arguably become Ammut's biggest use case, right? And I guess for the listeners out there, Ammut were a business that helped Davin on the whole valuation piece. I don't know too much about it other than that, Davin. To be honest with you, so if you want to elaborate, that's fine. But I guess in terms of being in the position of right, we're going to try and Put a tangible value on our data as an asset and then being able to execute on that obviously you used a partner in in this instance but just talk us through that relationship the dynamic how that kind of came about and, and i guess maybe why them i know that there's very few businesses out there that do what they do um yeah just talk us
1: through that the the, the ceo herman is an absolutely beautiful man that's what i can say he's one of the nicest humans on the planet who genuinely cares genuinely get it. And, and wants to do what's right. Um, th- they they are activists around data itself and not just the platforms that the data's in. And they get that. And that's what really appealed to me. I, I mean, I've seen so many people where the answer is always Azure or AWS. I'm like, no, you're missing, you're missing the point. I need that CFO CDO conversation, not the CIO CTO conversation, to to, to blossom. And um, I got talking with them and it was the right timing for them as an organization, right timing for us as an organization. And the purposes of our companies and the way we wanted to work with each other just gelled. So that, that that's why we, we chose them. We did a competitive tender. They absolutely knocked it out of the park with their response. And we we're really happy. What's made it a lasting relationship is that I see them as a critical friend they 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 tell me the good news they tell me the bad news they tell me the difficult stuff and and they hold me to account on my own values and my own purpose and and what we commit and i've really respected them for that and and i don't know if you want the methodology that we use if, if that's where you're going but essentially you know um the way we approached it was we we knew the size of our tangible assets and our intangible assets as a whole and we were able to work with the entire sector to apportion how much of our intangible value happened at each sector level you know how much does the freight and logistics sector get from the strategic road network Hmm. and then we went to the freight and strategic freight sector as an example we asked them loads of questions about what were the specific use cases that they use our sector for and then how dependent were those use cases on data that we released and then suddenly when you squash all that up together, you understand how much of our data is apportioned to where, to whom. And I can now answer questions like, if I fail in the control over here around how this data is managed, I know how many billions or millions you've just shaved off the value of a data set to this part of the economy. And um, it takes big picture thinking to do that. And, uh, mm. and, and uh, absolutely up to their name and are able to do that very well.
0: Yeah. Nice. Nice. I guess in hindsight, is there anything that you would have done differently? Cause it sounds like, you know, an overwhelmingly, um, you know, positive success story, but is there, is there anything that you think, oh, we, if we'd have done this quicker or sooner, or would have done this instead of this, that we might be further along. Or is there anything that despite all the success that you think might have, have impacted it more positively?
1: Oh God, yeah. Ninety-nine percent of the things I do fail. It's just the one percent <laughs> just just work out and 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 pay for themselves. I think um I didn't earn the right to be the CDO enough. I landed. I went too fast, too soon at the data level first. I acted as a data leader first and a business leader second. And um I I think I I I would have gone in as a business leader first. I think that's absolutely something I've learned. And I would have been disruptive but not cause disruption and that's where I think I got it wrong I was disruptive and cause disruption and I think that you know that's not good so I think you I also tried to be too strategic and I got the wrong balance of um the quick wins and solving the problems of today because for me I was like these these problems today they're not problems what I didn't realize is that some very senior people cared about those problems and me solving those problems helped them understand that I saw the world through their eyes and building empathy is massively important so I think I would have been less strategic a bit more tactical but been able to link those together I think I'd have been much braver as well I think I've held back in some areas of the implications of what the valuation meant because I've been a bit afraid to have difficult conversations and I, I think that's something I would have done so I would have implemented a few views or done things differently and set up governance and put my hand up and said you know what we're doing the wrong thing but I was a bit just nervous about you know rocking the apple cart I suppose is the way they say so I'd have done that so they're the, they're the big three things I'd have done but I don't want the, the listeners thinking this has been a walk in the park glowing I failed most of the things throughout my career but I think one of the things I do all right at it seems to be resilient to them and get up the next day
0: yeah no, well, yeah, really appreciate that, that insight, Davin. I guess in terms of where you're at on this journey, then, as far as executing on that data strategy that came out the other side of that valuation program, et cetera, um, and realizing of, you know, that £1 billion mark that you think might be available to you, how
1: far into that are you at the moment? Quite a chunk. I've uh, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if if I give you a sense of scale, just to have these things ramp up, we, we had one project that I think cost around 400k to deliver and delivered 60 million of cashable benefits, and we did that within two quarters. So you know what we're 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 in the hundreds of millions in terms of benefits we've enabled. I think the thing for me now is, um, I think with those some of the wins that we've got, I, I actually feel the business is pushing me towards the social socioeconomic benefits and the social value helping level up the country those kinds of benefits are, are where you can really do data that will use data to make quite profound differences so you know how can i have a massive impact on the carbon footprint that our company does and not because i can make a data set more efficient you know how can i use digital to make the road network so attractive that it accelerates the use of electric vehicles even though we don't have a mandate of the electric vehicles so mm. I, I think i'm you know definitely seeing things go the socio-economic side much more yeah and uh, really, really want to just build the organisation much more, not so much be data literate, but create the right playing field where people of all literacy levels for data can play comfortably. And that's some good coaching I had from a guy, John Kerner, which is about my job's not to turn data dinosaurs into data ninjas, it's to create a playing field where data dinosaurs and data ninjas can play together. And I think uh, I, I want to focus on that a bit more around working with our HR functions to say, how can I you know, create the right leadership capabilities for the organization to all of our employees.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No that makes perfect sense. Well, Davin, look, conscious of, of time. Um, but look, thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us your time and being so um open and, and honest. Um and yeah, we uh look forward to seeing how the rest of the the journey unfolds.
1: No, my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Speak soon. Bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishan group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.